I'm Jason Attu. I'm President, Director, and Chief Executive Officer of Liberty Gold. Liberty Gold is a TSX listed company, also listed on the OTC, and our focus is on oxide gold deposits in the Great Basin. Jason, good to see you and good to meet you indeed. Um, not matter we've spoken before. Um, so I just want to maybe kick off and just tell people a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What have you done? Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's, it's hard to believe, as I've been telling some investors, this is my 30th year in mining. Um, and so I've, I've seen a lot of different, I think the important thing, especially where we are today with, with the gold market, I've seen a lot of different cycles. And I do believe we're on the cusp of a, a really significant long-term gold cycle in the next few years. Um, but my core competency, I, my formative years, I was an investment banker for a number of years. Then I actually went to Gold Corp. I became their chief financial officer, but also ran their strategy in the corporate development aspects. Um, and I think that's relevant to the Liberty Gold story because obviously at, at Gold Corp, we were doing a bunch of rationalization and acquisitions. And I was scouring with the help of the team, scouring for assets um, specifically that could get moved the needle. And uh, re really do believe in the heat bleach oxide uh, gold thesis. Um, and, and, and this is what we have at Liberty Gold. We've got two really good perspective oxide heat bleach assets, one in Southern Idaho, one in Southern Utah. Um, and so after Gold Corp was obviously bought by um, Newmont, uh, my, my focus, and I went to a, a smaller company called Gold Standard Ventures that also has a very good uh, heat bleach project called the South Railroad Project in Nevada. It was sold to Orla Mining uh, just not even a year ago now for approximately $250 million. But the thesis that I have is what I'm trying to do with the company is build a company. And I believe Black Pine, which is our asset in Idaho, is a company maker. And I'll explain why in a minute why I think it's absolutely a com company maker. But um, the point is oxide heat bleach acids in the Great Basin, really a big fan of them because of the low technical complexity. And this is both of these assets are past producing, so they have an operating history as well as a low capital intensity, as I said, to build a company. The vision that I have for the company, and a lot of your, your, your listeners will recall, is, um, and, and so we're not a natural, now we, we have a natural pathfinder around the thesis is to create a Glamis 2.0. And so Glamis was a company that was eventually bought by Gold Corp, but really, really had the most significant shareholder wealth and return around the heat bleach asset thesis um, in much tougher jurisdictions in Guatemala and South America. And so here we have two assets with an endowment over 4 million ounces in the Great Basin that um, we, we proved up significantly, got lots of exploration upside, and, and now we're, we're pivoting towards development. Right. Okay. And I want to get into the detail there. I, re I really, really do. Okay. Um, but... Can I ask what if, what were you brought on to? Last time we spoke to the company was back in I think May two thousand nineteen, so certainly middle of two thousand nineteen, long time ago um, with, with Cal Everett. You've been brought on board. You've been here about nine months. What what goals were you set, or what goals have you set yourself? Yes, yeah, so, so so Matt, um, this is really a reset for for the company. In that again, Cal. And, and the team, and the, and the team is very much still together. And, and this team, by the way, is, is 
found from an ore perspective or ounces perspective is I found over 10 million ounces, this, this team. I mean, they're an exceptionally good geological team. They, they obviously do believe in black pine as I do. And I had many, many different opportunities, much some, some much more larger and complex, but I chose this one because I said, I, I'm here to build a company. The fact of the matter, Cal had a really good and he's a geologist. He had a really good nose for finding these assets and moving to the point that now we have scale over 3 million ounces of black pine in particular. But my skill set, core competency, is to essentially take that asset base that we have now and actually move it through the development cycle to raise capital for it. Uh, expertise, obviously, around project development uh, was, was associated with a number of projects being built out at Goldcorp. Um, and so it, it has been a reset for sure. Uh, the core team is together, but there has been a slight reconstitution at the board as well. Put a bunch of governance aspects in, in place or enhancements in place since I've joined. So we're setting the company up um, essentially to get effectively into the permitting process, which in the Western U.S. can take 24 to 36 months uh, to, to eventually get to a 300,000 ounce producer between the two assets. And so that's the vision, that's the goal, our, our KPIs and how management's actually compensated are directly attributed to what we call performance indicators. And so the biggest, most consequential um, catalyst that we have as a company is we're working right now on our pre-feasibility study. And so our pre-feasibility study will be the first time that Black, for Blackline, first time that Blackline actually can demonstrate or show to the marketplace the, the power of, of the asset, firstly, the economics, but the, the, the other benefit, byproduct benefit is obviously we will use the pre-feasibility study to essentially um, create what's called a mine plan of operations, which we submit to the regulators and start that permitting clock. Right. But in the gold market for the last couple of years, I, I've, I've taken nothing for granted. <laughs> unusual times, right? And if I... What I kind of want to hear from you, though, and I imagine your shareholders do too, is like from the dizzy heights of 2020, although it was a slightly bonkers year, maybe maybe the exception rather than the rule, you know, over two bucks share price. You're down at 37, 40, 40 cents now, right? That's a, that's a kind of long, gentle slide. And I don't think you're alone in that, but nevertheless, it's your job, the new guy, to fix that. Do you think, in the context of the normal rules don't apply and don't take anything for granted, that some of the things you're talking about, the economic studies and moving through into kind of, you know, construction decision type, um, you know, uh, conversations, do you think that's going to be enough to drive the growth of the share price and I, and I guess ultimately valuation of the company. Yeah, really good question, Matt. So I, would, I will tell you that this is not unusual. Most companies that have exciting explorations, people that results, people to quickly extrapolate and then the reality of the drill bit comes in. And that's what's happened with, with Liberty Gold. Foundationally, though, as I said, with their Black Pine asset, we've now, and this team has done an exceptional job taking it from nothing to over 3 million, 3.1 million ounces in all categories. In, in terms of valuation, um, so yes, we will always be exploring, uh, certainly, if like, I mean, this is a, a huge system. We've, we put a press release out on July 24th, for, for example, which we've actually had a new discovery. And so the strength length in the system has gone from six kilometers wide to eight kilometers. So we've got a lot of playground to, to absolutely go out and discover and create value. But in addition, um, again, the, co the company and why it was brought in, I mean, they've been an exploration company for six years. 
you do have to mature as a company and it follows exactly what you said, suggested, all the excitement, enthusiasm, uh, exuberance. But, but there's, there's a very well-known curve called the Lasan curve. And we are in the Lasan curve, there's no question. Um, and, and so the value creation path that I've been brought in is through de-risking the asset to actually getting to cash flow. And, and so there'll always be an expiration angle given, again, the system that I talked about with, with Black Pine and Gold Strike. Um, but you know, the, way, the way we're going to create value for shareholders now is through a series of de-risking steps, which includes, as I said, getting the economics out for the first time that the market can see. There's really good proxies out there for it, although we can't talk to it, but there's, there's brokers. We have seven brokers that, that cover the company. And on average, I mean, on average, we're talking a mine here of anywhere between 150 to 200,000 ounces per annum. If you include Gold Strike, that's over 300,000 ounces per annum. And an all-in sustaining costs of about $1,000. Again, this is heat bleach, run of mine, very simple, low-cost operation, top quartile. And so you can imagine, you know, in four years when we're in production, the margins associated with these two assets are anywhere at today's prices, anywhere about $900 to, to, to $1,000 per ounce. That's a significantly good margins. Um, but what we do have to do as a company now is, is focus very much on actually getting the projects through the permitting process in the Western US, raise the capital to do so. And because these are, again, heap leach run of mine assets, we're not talking about a two, three-year-old build. This is a nine-month build. The capital is going to have a two-handle, so 200 plus million dollars to get Black Pine up and going. It's not big, complex milling operations that you see it, that that have just historically or just in the last couple of years been developed. That you know, significant capital overruns, significant not, not on budget whatsoever. This is not a two, two and a half-year build. Very, very simple operation. It's a nine-month build. Uh, the capital that I talked about. So again, these are the steps that we're taking. We're working very closely with the state of Idaho to, to move through with the agencies in particular to move through and actually create some awareness that this project will actually come up in terms of the, the, the permitting um, in, in 2024. Um, and, and so that, that's the path for which again, we're gonna create value through the de-risking steps getting to the cash flow of the mine as opposed to the expiration. The expiration will always be there. There's there's no question given the system that I talked about at Blackpine in particular. The, the other benefit that um, both Blackpine and Gold Strike have, these are past producing mines. So we've got an operational history that we can certainly benefit from uh, in, in terms of the studies that we're doing and in terms of when we actually get up in construction and operation. So th- th- again, it's not, these are not, these are brownfield sites. There's not pristine view sheds. These are, there's something that, you know, disturbs sites and, and arguably we're going to leave the sites when, you know, 20 years after we've finished mining, we're going to leave the sites better off than, than they were prior. Um, but that's a journey for sure. And, the, you know, the, the investors that we have currently have been long, patient, sticky investors, as I call them. A lot of the institutions that support the company understand resource investment. They understand, as I said, the Lasan curve. But the way we're going to create value from this point on is through a de-risking uh, value chain as opposed to the, the pure kind of exploration.
Right. But, but so it, it and like there's a ways to go and lots of baby steps between now and then, right? Um, but, but I want to start at the beginning of that, that beginning of your response, which you talked about, obviously, the July 24th uh, press release where you're talking about the, the, the addition of a new discovery, right? That normally sets um, the, the, the bells going and people get excited about discovery. Who doesn't like a discovery? It did nothing for you in the market, though. So coming back to my point about how can you try can you work out what is and is not turning the market on at the moment you talk about the de-risking phases discovery is it which is great but the discovery is usually what gets you the growth gets you the response in the market nothing happened what's going on with your shares yeah look in a different market and we did hear back for all, from all our top investors that they thought it was a fabulous release it clearly shows that the system is that's open to the south um but or, or the fact is July 24th, putting a press release out, we're, we have to obviously have continuous disclosure. It's a period of time where a lot of people just kind of go away um, in, in the gold space and everybody reappears, as you know, in the Colorado conferences come, come September. But what incrementally has happened to, to the company, Liberty Gold, just so you know, your listeners and audience have context, we're the third smallest constituent in the GDXJ, the VanEck uh, Index. And um, so back in April, Market Vectors, who administers the GDXJ, actually had a change in their methodology. And, and so now the, the market cap weighting is much more concentrated in the top five names, and these are big producers. So, so what, it, what it actually happened and forced is there was significant outflows, um, over 1.5 million shares of outflows that had to come from a rebalance perspective date of June 19th. And so again, all, all the developers in the Explorer Co's, obviously you can track any, any of them. They've, they've had a very difficult past few months, but we were disproportionately impacted when there's no natural buyers out there and you have this index outflow. And, and the June 19th date was a rebalance date and we just haven't recovered since then. I'm, I'm very confident, you know, given the milestones that we have around a resource coming out, a new resource coming out by the end of the year, the fact, as I said, is we're, we're now actually at the stage where we're actually going to put economics from a company's perspective out uh, for pre-feasibility in 2024. We're going to get started in, ter in terms of the, the permitting process. So there will be a line of sight and visibility around, again, where we're going to be a cash flowing company. Okay. I, have they all washed through? The, they're gone? Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay, and who, and who picked those up? Was it was it because institutional institutional sitting around forty percent at the moment? So was it picked up institutional or was it retail? It was again, it was picked up retail for the most part, and there was just a steady stream stream of outflows from that the announcement to the rebalance date. I mean, market managers does do this administration. They obviously have a methodology, and I believe they have some algorithms that assist them with it. Um, it's but again, it's. This is what happens when, when companies are very small constituents in, in an index. That's just as fabulous when you get included, but it's quite painful when, again, the methodology changes and you're at the very bottom tier, the third smallest constituent, as I said, and that results on significant outflows. For, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, understood. And do you think, when you said earlier that the, the institutional, uh, you've you, you got a lot of coverage, you get like eight of the all the big names that you want to see covering you, which is great. The institutional guys will be paying attention to that and then also you'll be talking to them directly, I'm sure. But 
And I hear what you're saying with regards to the Somme Kirby and that kind of very, you know, that slightly boring phase of, you know, going, going through the study phase and we'll see what those numbers look like for 2024. But are, you're, you're at that size, right? You're, 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 you're sort of down, whatever, 120 million market cap Canadian, where some of these institutions may not be allowed to hold you anymore. I'm, I'm sure you're cognizant of that, despite the fact that they are mining savvy institutions. So, is does that matter to you at, at at this point if some of those funds do sell down and that you're held by a bigger amount of retail going forward whilst you're proving out the economics yeah. so that's um that's not the case currently again i joined approximately the same share price and, and just so you're aware i'm a big believer one of the governance changes that i did make when i first came in is i'm a huge believer that there's got to be skin in the game and so I've, I've got exposure and I bought uh, from, from my own pocket uh, over 1.1 million shares now. I've obviously got options and RSUs as well, but that was day one. And, and so we're thinking like owners. And one of the things I did mandate is essentially now there are <clears throat> ownership ma mandated thresholds for not only board members, but for all the executives and a plan for the individuals you know, they can do it over time, but they actually have to have skin in the game. So we're actually thinking and aligned exactly to the shareholders that you talked about. But to, so to make me I, clear, I want, I, want, I want you to expand on this one. Skin in the game. I've heard that so many times. And it's usually what they mean is my, shares that they've been given. So I've got skin in the game. Yeah, I've been given. You're saying you've said to your team, you must go and buy shares in the market. That's, that's correct. And you need to get to a certain ownership uh, threshold and it's got to be a metric against their, their their salary per the year. So for myself, example, I've got to own over three times my salary in, in terms of equity. And that doesn't include options. Uh, that includes real hard, the hard equity exposure. Um, and, and so, you know, when I came out with these policies, I did talk to our top, top five shareholders and our top five shareholders are the likes of VanEck, both in the passive and the active fund. Franklin's our second largest shareholder. Third, the Merck's our third. Actually, our third largest is management and insiders at over 5%. And that will continue to, as I said, um, between the directors and, and, and management will continue to increase, especially at these levels, because we'll talk about valuation, I'm sure, in a, in a minute, because it's just insanely, insanely cheap. But really good governance practices. And when I talk to um, again, the institutions that I just named, they, they don't really have any concerns with thresholds because remember I joined approximately the same market cap nine months later, they're still um, associated with, with the company or supporting the company go forward. Um, okay. Um, that's, I, that's what I like to hear. And I think it's very rare. Okay. So that, I think that, that that's good news indeed that you actually ma mandated that your, your team needs to pay attention, not just here to pick up a salary and, and, and cheap, cheap stock, right? Um, or free stock. Um, let, let's get in, let's get into, I promised we would. Let's get into the assets proper, if you don't mind. Okay. We're going to start with some basic definitions because be, there's a big audience here who have never really invested in mining companies before and their money's as good as yours and mine. Okay. So um, open pit, heat, leach, why is that better than anything else, any other type of mining? Yeah, look, um, again, obviously, open pit doesn't have the complexity of under, underground in terms of cost per ton, you're a lot more competitive, you're moving a lot more dirt, it becomes more of a logistics exercise as opposed to being very, really refined around narrow vein, uh, deep underground mines, for example, those have to have higher grades. So this is a lower grade deposit. 
um, compared to the underground assets for sure. But it's what it's called, it's called all at oxide. And so the, the, this, this, it's a sedimentary hosted, I'm just talking black pine right now, but it's a sedimentary hosted uh, rock package that is all oxidized, meaning that essentially everything is going to leach through a heat leach process. When, when you pour essentially solution over it on your heat leach pad, uh, you liberate the gold and, and then you refine it um, at, 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 through a processing plant. So it's very, 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 very simple. And so for an off, off, off open pit oxide heat leach acid, where they actually go wrong, sometimes they don't live up to, again, the studies is around two things. Firstly, the, the, the geology, the block model either doesn't hold together, the geostats just doesn't hold, hold together. And the quality of the resource that we put out in February, over 84% of it's in the indicated category, meaning the spacing is very tight, the continuity is very good. Second, how oxide heat leach acids don't, don't do, do well is around metallurgy. And so again, this is an oxide package. We've done lots of metallurgy. The fact that it's a past producer this is a run of mine, meaning there's no crush. So again, it keeps the capital very, very, very tight. Run, run of mine, there's not a lot of variability based on the size of rock that we've done testing. We have the, as again, th this was operated in, in, in the, the mid nineties. We have all that operational history and show that there's good metallurgical response to our rock. So again, very technically straightforward. As I said before, this is not a two and a half year build. There's no mill associated. There's no tailings associated with this very compact environmental footprint. Black Pine in particular, because it was a past producer, has power right to the mine gate. We've also secured in the Great Basin. It's incredibly important you actually secure your water rights, your process water for the operation. Again, this is a big de-risking step. The, the, the company and the team secured two times what we need. So we've got 100,000 tons per day secured through process water already. And so a lot of a lot of companies don't have that until they get into the feasibility stage. But we did it early, um, and and the important thing is we, we did it very smartly in two transactions: one through a bankruptcy proceeding from the old operation, so we have the water wells from the old operation. In addition, we made deals with there's ranchers and agricultural uh, constituents around the province. It's not hugely populated, but there's there's some for which uh, we're going to lease the, the water from those agricultural facilities and we'll compensate them when they're not obviously doing agriculture. But when we're finished mining in 20 years, the water actually goes back to the, 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 the farmers and, and the ranchers. The impact of that is there is no net new water draw in, in that county. And that's incredibly important when you talk about you know, water scarcity, when you talk about climate change, when you talk about everything that that everything that projects actually need to do from an infrastructure perspective that don't have. So we have water, we've got power. The Interstate 84 is two kilometers away. So we've got access. Access is a big check. Again, when I was doing my diligence to, to, to join the company, there's nothing but check, check, check the geological team. I mean, this is also the team that discovered Long Canyon. Um, which ended up being a $2.3 billion transaction to Numat back in 2011. It's exactly the same team, heat leach asset as, as well. I, as I said, I came from Goldcorp. The best analog I can make to, 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 to Black Pine is an asset that's just south of us in Nevada called Marigold. That was a Goldcorp asset. It's another heat leach asset um, that's making significant cash flows for the company that owns this SSR mining. And Marigold became the company maker for SSR mining. So again, there's precedent for what I'm talking about. 
Black Pine will be the company maker for Liberty Gold. Okay. It, it, yes, like you say, it's a logistics earth moving exercise. And then Dan T, and I want to talk in, uh, in a minute about metallurgy. Um, too, but one question I did want to ask, I've always wanted to ask this question is where you've got assets which are right up on the border, because obviously, you know, Black Pine's sitting there in, in, in Idaho, right on the border of Utah. When there's water involved, ramp permitting, is it the, the borderline defines who's in charge or because it's water and, and that obviously moves around it? Do you, does, is Utah involved in any of the kind of permitting issues? Look, I, they'll be certainly consulted, again, given the proximity more around the socioeconomic aspects, because one of our investors, I think is very appropriate and apt, he called this a Goldilocks deposit. The fact, as I said, this is an oxide deposit. And, and, and so there's no water associated with the mineralized area. There's zero water. So you're not dealing with water table. You're running through the water table. You're not dealing with pit lakes. You're not dealing with anything. However, there's plenty of water in the basin. Um, but we don't have, it's an incredibly dry, arid area. We don't have any, any rivers running through it. We don't have any salmon bearing streams nearby. There's everything that's ephemeral. So we don't have the waterways of the U.S. that would create more complexity, as you said, to the state of Utah. Where Utah is going to help us is when we're in operation, this will have about 300 full-time employees. And indirectly, we're going to have, you know, approximately 1,500 to 2,000 um, jobs essentially to support the mine. So good from a socioeconomic perspective. The fact, even though it's on Interstate 84, the closest community, um, well, there's a community right beside it called Juniper, but it's a few hundred people. The closest community and how the Pegasus group mined it in the 90s is a, a community called Burley, which is an hour and a half, an hour to an hour and a half up the Interstate 84. You can go south to Utah and actually get some good, the talent density is very, very good in, in just southern Utah, just south of Idaho in, or in Utah border. So again, we're going to be employing people also from northern Utah for, for this operation. Um, so again, it's not, they'll, they'll certainly be consulted, but more on the side of the benefits that they're getting from a socioeconomic perspective. We're obviously going to try and employ as many people as we can in Idaho, but given, again, the location, even though there's really, really good access, there's no doubt in our mind we're going to have to apply or hire some you, 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 people from Utah as well. Right. Okay. Yeah, you've got Salt Lake City. Right, right so there's, there. there's no, just so we're clear, there's no jurisdictional water aspect to it. And, and we can talk about permitting. I'm sure you have a question on permitting. So Yeah, well, let's deal, let's deal with that now because obviously, yeah. you know, that, that's the long pole in the tent, really. Well, so. well, the implication of that, people that have maybe seen other projects go through the permitting process and, and the one that's most salient and um, remarkable for me was the Remarkable Hail Project which it was a U.S. Corps, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, we, because we don't have those just jurisdictional water, the U.S. Corps is not involved in it. So the lead agency um, is the U.S. Forest Service, because that's where the, the Black Pine mineralized area is. The BLM, the Bureau of Land Management in the U.S., um, because we're going to be putting some infrastructure, including the heat bleach pads, machine shops, the processing facility on BLM uh, patented land, they'll both be involved. Um, but there, there won't be the U.S. Corps of Engineers. And in fact, from a permitting perspective, what, what's happened very recently in legislation, in the U.S. legislation, I think, uh, as, as everyone has experienced, I mean, it's the, the U.S. government can be viewed from external 
for people like myself sitting from the bleachers is incredibly dysfunctional right now. Uh, quite um, polarized between the, the, the two parties, not bipartisan. But what happened with the debt ceiling uh, arrangement, that the, the debt ceiling law that came into, in, into law just a couple months ago, is there was a, a clause within it, so it's now enacted in law around project permitting. And so the, this, this will go through what's called the Federal Environmental Protection Act process or project. And so now from the notice of intent, when you essentially, you know, submit your mine plan of operation to that record of decision, it's enacted by law that is no more, can, can not take no longer than 24 months for the most complex projects. We don't have a lot of complexity to, to our project. Again, past producers are very simple, straightforward mine, as I said. 24 months um, prior to that, there was a completely open-ended uh, decision path. So we've got clarity now that no more than 24 months once we actually receive what's called a notice of intent in the federal registry to the, um, the, the record of decision. And in addition to that, um, the environmental impact statement, which obviously talks about the impacts of what Black Pine will have, cannot be any larger than 120 pages from a document perspective. Now, there can be some appendices and supplementals to it, but the real point is there's a real push by government agencies to streamline the permitting process in, in the U.S. and not leave it open-ending, and now it's law. So that benefits parties like ourselves that are actually about to start to get into the permitting process. Okay, but, right. Okay, which is, I guess, welcome across the U.S. because it it has got the reputation of being, you know, with BLM, etc., First Nations, etc., of being quite a timely process. It takes a long time to kind of get these things across across the line. Um, so all all of that welcome, I'm sure. So talk to me about obviously with the Garstland Mineral uh, Resource. Um, we understand that, and you're moving in the PFS phase and stuff like that. You come on board as a mind builder. You're moving from, I'm not even sure reset's the right word. It's kind of like the, the next evolution, the next phase, it feels like, of the company. Um, so maybe doing yourself a disservice there in, in terms of the, the, the team and, and what it's setting out to do. The It's an earth-moving exercise. It's an efficiency exercise from you with grades like this. You're not the first, you you won't be the last, but it's incumbent on you as coming as the mind builder saying, look, I'm going to get this thing into production, um, 100, 200,000 ounces, whatever you're aiming for. But the the pit design is going to be so, so important to this. Uh, It's almost as important as the the metallurgy, which I, I keep saying I want to talk about, because you've kind of got various zones going on here. It, it doesn't feel like it's one big pit. It's like a, it's a series of pits. Is it, I mean, have you got a view of how you're going to come at it? Yeah, look, um, as, as one of my geo, geologists, geos like to tell me, deposits are beauty formed. They're not the predictable geometric shapes that we all played with as children. The truth is, though, with the black pine deposit um, is... Historically, there were three pits that were mined. We're now expanding, given again the success that we've had with the drill bit, there are very likely be five pits. And these are discrete pits that um, from a sequence and an optimization perspective, that's what we'll demonstrate in the pre-feasibility study that we'll put out next year. Clearly, what we want to do is start with the highest grade near surface, uh, near, near, near surface high, higher value ore, firstly, um, because again, what one of our one of our KPIs or one of the, the aspects that we're really working hard to is first of all get the 
the, the resource to 3 million ounces and indicated, meaning that would obviously convert to reserves when we actually get through the feasibility studies. But in addition, have our payback period, again, that 200 million plus that we're going to have to put for initial capital, um, to have payback period really minimized. So I, ideally under two years. So over a 15 to 17 year mine life, you know, a year and a half to two years. And the way that we obviously do that is you're picking up near surface high grade. And, and so there's a number of different pits. A couple of the pits in particular exhibit that exact attribute where it's higher grade near surface. Some of the other pits, there's more stripping that you have to do. So more waste created. Um, but in, in addition to that, what we've been doing, and we're doing things very, very smart and strategic in our drill program this year, we've got over 30,000 meters that we've drilled. We've gone back and drilled, for example, the waste rock piles from the operations in the 90s. And this is right at surface. And the waste rock piles, you know, obviously was considered waste back in the mid 90s when gold was 250, vacillating between 250 and $270 an ounce. We're not at that gold price anyways. And so these are effectively zero cost ounces that we can put on the, the, the pad and, and create high value uh, early revenue that again talks to the, the 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 payback period being minimized. In addition, given it, it was a past producer, there's the heap leach, the old heap leach facility is still intact. And by our estimates, there's anywhere between 70 to 100,000 extractable ounces in that heap leach pad. So again, this is very low cost or, or zero cost ounces that will really, really have a tremendous impact on, again, getting that payback period to, to under two years. And, and again, this is all at $1,800 gold. So are arguably a lot lower than what that we, we currently are in, in terms of, of, of the price of gold today. Who, who knows where it's going to be um, when we're actually up and going in, in commercial production. But given everything that's going on from a macro perspective, I, I would, you know, dollars to put money on the fact that we'll be at least these levels, if not a significant level up um, in terms of gold, because again, there's a lot of things that are very constructive, as you and I both know, Matt, around where gold price should be uh, trending over the next few years. Right. Okay. And I didn't bring my crystal ball with me, and I'm sure you didn't either, so we won't go there. Um, just on this, so that's kind of interesting, and I like. I think it's interesting in the context that you were, you know, you've done CFO roles, right? Where in this economic climate, you've got to what the cost of money is, I guess, almost punitive at the moment. Whether you're raising equity in the market or you, you know, eventually, hopefully, you know, move into the debt market, and you've got to try and eke out every dollar from every source. So the 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 um, tailings, great. For a low for a low for a low um, grade operation as you are earth moving operation as you are, that's not a bad thing to to get after. I'm not saying you're not doing exploration. You're talking about thirty thousand meters as well. But what are the, what are the other um, things that you sit and talk about at board level when you go right? This is the this is the order of play that we need to go in because I need to conserve energy. I do need to pay back those dollars quicker. I do need a two year payback. Um, because that's that's going to be that's you know and, and and high high grading typically would you know in good times would be frowned upon it's like oh you're going for the easy money here but in moments like this decision making i guess changes so what what were those conversations like and how do you prioritize yeah look i, I think um from a project capital and capital allocation perspective 
why I'm a big believer and I mandated again, the share ownership levels is I want people to think like owners and they also have to have a lens as to what's going on in the capital markets, a hundred percent. So as, as we, you know, put forward the budgets and the plans. And so very deliberately our, our budget this year was to essentially do the de-risking, as I said, to get to the, the resource that we'll put out at the end of the year that, Again, it's not hard for people, then they already are conceiving a mine 15 to 20 years at the 150 to 200,000 ounces, which is a very definitive in tier two mine, no question. Um, as, as we move forward, I, I mean, we do obviously debate at, at the board level because it's such a prospective asset. We do, you know, how much capital should we putting on, on pure the de risking, as I said, permitting getting into the cash flow versus. In the potential upside that a lot of people can see that will, will, will obviously drive value. I, I think it's got to be balanced in a combination of both, provided that there's cap, that capital to support it. If there isn't that capital out there to support it, again, I, I came in as, as you, you, you know, appropriately and, and eloquently said, evolution of the company has been a very good exploration company for something. Now we've got to actually move and start thinking when we become a producer. So. On, on balance, again, from a capital allocation perspective, we'd be spending more money on the de-risking, getting to cash flow versus the pure exploration. But in a better, more bull market scenario or situation, absolutely, we want to understand the. So so far, we're pushing the boundaries. We have no idea how big the system will be. We know, as I said, it's eight over eight kilometers in strike length. We, we'd love to have a great, you know, budget and program to go and just drill, drill, drill to really show the potential. But the reality is, as a junior that's 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 moving through the path and getting through de-risking, we're, we're limited in terms of funds. So we've got to be very smart with with our capital. And that's why, again, we're, we're thinking like owners every day. Where, where, where is the best capital be, to, to be spent and how do we do it? And so I'll give you an example of that. Um, when we did go through our budgeting process, we've got another heap leach asset in, in, in Utah. As, um, as I mentioned, and so we're not doing any geological work in, 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 in Utah right now, mainly because we get a lot, again, we're, we're, we're a small junior developer company. We can't basically push forward two assets at once. We understand that. So the debate would, would happen. What is more geologically perspective? Where are we gonna get bigger bang for the buck? It's clearly at Black Pine given the success. So the only work that we're doing at um, the Gold Strike asset is we're doing and we've engaged a number of parties to do all our hydrological work because unlike uh, black pine we haven't secured the process water for the gold strike operation and so we're doing from a de-risking perspective we're, 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 do, we're spending minimal capital but we're doing all the hydrological work we'll be moving a drill in to test a couple of wells that we do believe that will provide the solution to really unlock the value at gold strike so those are the type of discussions that we do have at the board level um, again, I, I wish we were back to, to bullish, very enthusiastic times where you know, we could be spending smart capital um, around showing what the dimensions of Black Pine will eventually look like when it when it is a mine, whether we're operating it or, or another company go, go forward. Uh, because again, I I came here because I, I'm enamored and I fell in love with Black Pine. I, it's a company maker. I'm 200% convinced of this. Um, but it's going to take time and methodological uh, steps to actually get through the process and get it to, to a cash flowing asset. 
Okay, I'm okay. I hear you on gold strike, and I assume um, obviously Turkey as well. Um, no point in spending time, money, and effort there. So, you're, what you're saying to me is, I'm thinking we are thinking about return on capital invested. We've got to make sure that each dollar spent has the maximum chance of, of, of success and the and, and best return possible. You know, because you talk about smart money, I, it kind of felt like 2020. There was a lot of dumb money around, and that's what companies were spending liberally um without much effect it, it, it seems so um no, i appreciate that well look um, jason that's a really good run through um a nice reintroduction to to the company and and what you're doing there um uh, very interesting indeed but just please stay in touch let us know how you get on in fact in fact i i understand we're actually going to see you in uh is it beaver creek or we're seeing you in denver Beaver Creek, that's correct. Yeah, we're going to see you in Beaver Creek. Okay, well, I look forward to maybe a face to face with you, and we can maybe talk about you know how things are you know moving on because interesting times indeed in the gold market. As as hard as they are to predict, they are fun to uh, operate in for sure. And there's no question. And as I said, I've I've been in the industry for 30 years. I love this industry. I love the personality. I love the discovery aspect. I love the the assets that, as I said, can can really create companies and really create a big difference um, for, for the communities that we work in. So thanks for your time, Matt, and I look forward to seeing you in Beaver Creek.